good high five two people and you can be seated awesome so good so good so good. I want to look in the back of this room at that camera and say good morning, Chapel Downtown. We're excited about all God's doing. Uh, we had an update on the building there. Uh, all kinds of rooms are being formed in our Scott's Edition location. Come on, downtown. Are you excited? Chapel 2020, Scott's Addition. How good is that? So we can't wait for that. Excited. Next week is Growth Track. Katie and I are going to be with you. Can't wait for that as well. But good morning, Chapel Downtown. I got pictures of your worship. I know you're having an amazing morning, and we're glad to be together. One church in two locations. How many are thankful that because of technology, we can be in two places at once? Come on. One church, two locations. I mean, how incredible is this? I don't, I don't know if you know this, but 25 years ago, they thought you could not only not have two locations, but you couldn't even have two services. And so it used to be you had to have one service and build bigger buildings and do all that kind of thing. And, uh, and now because of all the changes and everything, we're able to make better use, stewardship of resources and run multiple locations and services and all that. And we're so excited about that. I want, I want to say this to, uh, to this service, 930 at, um, at uh, Chapel South. I just want you to know this. The best service of the weekend is at 815. I'm telling you, you can't believe it. And, and, and our team gives away free stuff, free food, uh, free children. I mean, anything you can come with one, leave with another. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And uh, so if you ever want to try that, I, I say it's great because you can beat the Baptist to brunch. Come on, somebody. And so, uh, but if you've ever tried 815, that'd be great. And want to also let you know this, that we're dreaming in January of an of a afternoon service, adding a fourth worship service in at this location. And so be praying for us in that. And if you want to help us make that happen, Growth Track would be an awesome opportunity, but glad to have you here. I know it can be a little tight, but uh, we're giving ourselves a little bit of space between services as well. Um, on the way in, you got a worship guide, and we're doing something different for this series. There's a little teaching note uh, sheet in there, and you can take that out. And there's some binders at Next Step Table and uh, at both locations if you want to collect those. And you've already paid for those uh, with your giving. So I just want to say thank you so much for your incredible generosity. One of the things that's amazing about our church is we don't stand up uh, hardly ever and ask for money. And I just want to pause uh, this morning and say you're in incredible, incredibly generous giving church. We, uh, we gave 220% more last year to world missions than we did the year before because of your generosity. And right now we sent money to Convoy of Hope. Right now you are already in the Bahamas right now caring for people who have been hit by Dorian. How many are grateful to be a part of a church, right? That gives not just to ourselves, but around the world. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your generosity that allows us to make a difference around the world. I'm, I'm so thankful. In fact, I meet with pastors and talk with them, and I just want you to know uh, there's so many financial strains and everything. I'm just thankful. This is You're generous people, and you're, you're generous not only for our city but for the world, and I'm so thankful for, for, your, uh, for your generosity. But how's everybody doing this morning? Good? We doing good? Um, we've been in a series on anxiety, and we, 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 we mentioned a stat last week that kind of rocked us, and that is that we make up, the U.S. makes up 4% of the world's population, but we use 85% of the antidepressants. How many know we, we, we got issues? Come on, you know? And we're, we're totally not against medication at all in our church. We, we are supporters of counseling, medication, all that. We just know that per capita for the world, we live in a stressed out culture. 
And so we've been giving the month of September to look at what God has to say with anxiety. And if you missed any of those teachings, you can go online and get those. And so three weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter four, the clearest verse in the Bible, five ways or four ways not to be anxious. And then the last couple of weeks, we looked at Jesus, uh, Jesus words on how to, nine reasons not to be anxious. And today we're going to look at a bad example of a, an Old Testament prophet who got really stressed out. How many are grateful the Bible's full of real people? Hey, anybody? Right? Anybody glad? That it's not like a bunch of holy people that just get it all right. Because how many know you don't get it all right? Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them you don't get it all right. Come on, tell Turn to your second choice and tell them you're, you're messed up. Go ahead, just tell them you're, you're messed up, right? <laughs> In fact, we, we saw... That actually when people come from third world countries to uh, our country, they have elevated anxiety. So think of this. We pray for people around the world. Oh, would they be blessed like our country? And then they come here and they're more stressed. You know, we said that the land of stars and stripes has become the land of stress and strife. And. And, and we're, we're just stressed out. In fact, I got a, I got a rising sixth grader. I'm, I'm stressed out with middle school homework. I just want to vent for a moment this morning. I got a new part-time job at night. It's called math. Hey, I just want to say the Lord provides every good thing. Somebody here in our church who's middle school teacher showed me PhotoMath, which is an app. So let me just tell you what this is. You, you, you install it on your phone and you hold your phone over the math problem and you take a picture of it. And then it shows you how to step-by-step step, how to, how to, come on, somebody just give God praise. Man, I just got to tell you, it's the greatest thing. It's, it's outlawed in school, but how many know at my house, it's an essential. <laughs> Man, even our kids are stressed and our culture stressed. And so we've been given the month to look at how do we deal with anxiety and worry. And some of us deal with this a little more than others. And I think some of it's genetic and some of it's the way we're wired. And, and, and I, I tend to be a little bit more of an anxious person and, and, and worried about things and and focused on the future and all that. And sometimes, in fact, I get around people that are super peaceful and they just make me mad. <laughs> They're just always happy. How you doing? So great. And I'm like, well, didn't you know there's a ton of nukes in North Korea and Iran? We're finished, you know? Like, there's reasons to be anxious. And, and, uh, and so we want to talk this morning about how, how, how can fear grip our lives and how can we break that fear? And I want to give you a word picture, though, as we begin this weekend. And uh, Solomon, one of the wisest people to ever live, he, he writes a picture and he describes a metaphor of what it's like for somebody who can't control their emotions, for somebody who can't manage their feelings, for somebody who can't control uh, how they're doing and they don't have emotional awareness or emotional health. In fact, let me just pause and say uh, sociologists and psychologists are telling us that even more than IQ, your EQ will determine the success you have in life, meaning well, it used to just be your intelligence, but your emotional intelligence, which is the ability to manage yourself and interact with others, is an incredible predictor and indicator of success. You ever had somebody so smart, but they weren't in like with people, anybody, right? Like they knew everything, but you put them around people and just bombs went off, you know? Solomon says, hey, what, what, about, what about when we can't manage our emotions? What about when we can't handle ourselves? I want to just show you this verse, Proverbs 25 and verse 28. He says, like a city that's broken into and without walls is a man who has, help me out, who has no what? No control, control over his spirit. 
So in the ancient world, they didn't have uh, all the technology for war that we have in our culture. And the primary means of defense in the ancient world was a walled city. You'd build a wall. In fact, even when you build or when you visit old cities today, you'll see so many of them with walls. It was a a sign of fortification and strength, defense against intruders. And and, and in the ancient world, what kept people safe and what gave them a sense of security wasn't just military. It was a wall. And without a wall, they were vulnerable to attack by any enemies around them. And here's what Solomon is saying. If you can't control yourself, if you can't control your spirit, your emotions, then you're vulnerable to all kinds of weaknesses in life. So if you can't control your anger, you're vulnerable to things. If you, if you can't control your emotions, you're vulnerable to things. If you can't control your thinking, you're vulnerable to things. Or, or maybe just look at this and jot it down. If you don't manage your emotions, they'll manage you, right? How many know your, your emotions will manage you if you don't manage them, right? How many have found that your emotions don't always tell you the truth? Anybody? <laughs> uh, you ever had your alarm go off and you're like, it's not morning. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> You know, uh, and here's what Solomon's telling us, that if we don't grow in this ability to manage our emotions and manage our feelings, and we just run by however we're doing, and so I want to challenge you today. I think our culture needs a brand new sense of like, here we go, you know, and and like wake up. You know, lots of times my kids wake up in the morning, Dad, I don't feel like going to school. Well, I don't feel like you staying home. So we have an impasse, you know. Let's manage our emotions. And. And what I love about the Bible is it doesn't gloss over the mistakes and failures of the people in the Bible. And so this great prophet, his name is Elijah. He, he was one of the great prophets used in the New Testament as an example of prayer. But, but he also was kind of like us. He was an emotional guy. He ran, he, he ran hot and cold. And, and, and the Bible records his wins and his losses. And, and so his story records God showing up in incredible ways, feeding him miraculously with birds who sent him food. I mean, I mean, uh, providing uh, oil that wouldn't run out, uh, giving him victory against all his enemies. And in the middle of all that, uh, uh, Elijah was also serving at a time in Israel's history where the king was bad and his wife was worse. His, his name was Ahab. Her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel got mad that Elijah stood up for what's right. And so she threatened him, said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. And he got scared. And he got on hinge and he did some things that brought fear into his life. And I want to show you some of the things he did I think we can do in our own life that increase our fear, increase our anxiety. And then we'll draw some, some conclusions. And so if you never deal with anxiety, fear, have perfect control of your emotions, you can leave right now. But we'd like to see who you are. Just stand up, right? <laughs> All right, so let's look at what Elijah did. First Kings 19. Elijah was what? Come on, help me out. Elijah was afraid, and he ran and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba. Now, this is about a 100-mile trip from where he is. So he's by foot traveling 100 miles, okay? So he went to Beersheba, a town of Judah, and left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling what? Traveling all Day. Let me give you four things. Here's the first one that, that really uh, ruin our day and help us not manage our emotions. When we run ourselves into the ground, when we run ourselves into the ground. 
Elijah ran about 100 miles, as far as is humanly possible. He leaves a servant. He's isolated. He's tired, weary, and weak. He's worked hard. He's pushed it strong, and he's just fatigued. And listen, friends, I know that we can be spiritual, but let me also say this. There's a, there's a part of our emotions that are also physical. I'm here to report this morning that I still believe God loves naps. Can I get a witness in the room, right? Like, I'm all for a good nap, you know? In fact, the Sabbath on Sunday, I think you ought to, you ought to, you ought to worship God. You ought to eat meat because God's provided meat and you ought to sleep. And Elijah's, he's pushed it really hard. And in fact, the interesting thing is the chapter before this, he's just won a victory. So I know you're tempted to think, well, no, 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 only in defeats am I depressed. But actually, I think, I think it's also true that at mountaintop win moments, we can be weak as well. In fact, let's just be honest this weekend. Come on, downtown South, let's just be honest. How many of you once in a while, when you have a really good day at 10 o'clock at night, you celebrate by going to the fridge and making a wrong choice? Come on, raise your hand. The Lord, you liars. Come on. No, not me. I eat celery. Well, I'm looking at you. And uh, so, and, and Elijah's tired and he's weary and he's pushed it too long. And he's, and he's, and he's, and, 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 and just look at this. I think you get tired when you, when you run way too hard, way too long. I think there's a speed limit on our soul. In fact, in the Bible, God creates the world in six days. And on the seventh day, God rests, not because he's tired. He's setting us an example to show us there are parameters. There's a speed limit to the speed at which you and I can run in life and not get weary. And so, and so there's this calling on our life to Sabbath. Here's what a Sabbath is. We don't impose this legalistically or anything like this. But a Sabbath is saying, I'm going to take one, I'm gonna, six days a week, I can, I can run hard. But one day a week, I better worship God and I better get some rest. In fact, studies show that there's a certain amount of hours that workers can work a week where there's diminishing returns. They're just logging in more hours. But creativity and productivity doesn't really go up very much. And I think, and I really believe that there's a principle that if you'll work six, six days or five days a week and you'll take one day and really dedicate it to God, I think God will refresh you and you'll be more effective in the other days remaining and you can actually get ahead. It's a sign of dependence on God. And so my, my, my Sabbath isn't, isn't Sunday. I, I do a thing on Sunday, you know, but, but Monday, Monday is my Sabbath. And so I, I drink more coffee than usual. Okay. And I get on my laptop and I, I go to church on my laptop for a couple of, couple of sermons and worship. And I, and I eat a late lunch and I, and, I, and I resist all the housework Katie's trying to get me to do. I just, I Sabbath. Man, when we get tired, we, we can be prone to wrong thinking. <laughs> Katie actually gave me this illustration, so she, she gave me permission. I'm not telling you it on my own, but we, we, uh, we had four kids in five and a half years or six years, four kids in five and a half years. How many know just because you could doesn't mean you should. And, uh, <laughs> and so we had all these kids bop, bop, bop. And, and so the fourth was born and Katie, we're just surviving. Those are some of the most tiring years of our life, just surviving. And, uh, there, Katie gets a knock on the door one day, a middle day opens it and they're doing construction around the corner. And one of the workers is there and he's holding the hand of our two-year-old Carter and she gets angry at him which also tells you how tired she is like what why do you have my son and he's like what <laughs> ma'am this he was out in the walking down the sidewalk 
down the road. And uh, I just thought, somebody said it was yours or looked like yours. I'm not trying to steal him, but he's catching the, the public transit. And uh, <laughs> how many know you're tired, right? In fact, there's a moment in your life, parents of real little kids that realize the danger isn't people breaking into your house, but out. I've been to some of your houses, and I've actually seen some of you have locks on the outside of your kids' doors. And I am not sure that's legal, but it is amazing. <laughs> and the danger of life is when you, when you just get fatigued, you just get tired. You run too hard, too long, and there's a speed limit to our soul. There's a weakness. That's what Elijah's done. He's just experienced a great victory on Mount Carmel. God's shown up in big ways, and, and he's tired, and he gets threatened, and he's emotionally vulnerable in this moment. And for some of you, you just need to Sabbath again, to take one day out of seven and really rest. And, and some of you are here and are like, I never get tired. I never get... Well, you do, and it's a, it's a sign of pride and, I think, arrogance to say, I never need to unplug. I never... In fact, most things in our life will work again if you just unplug them for a while, won't they? And you turn them back on again. Some of us need to just unplug for a while and rest. Some of us maybe don't even need to read one more Bible verse before we take a nap and rest and and God helps us. And, uh, And Elijah's, he's weary. And he makes a bad choice, I think, in this moment. Let me show you it in verse 4. He goes into the wilderness. How does he go into the wilderness? With this small group. He says, hey, I'm part of a chapel group, and let's go into the wilderness. This is not a wilderness hike. This is a pity party. How many know, ain't no party like a pity party, because a pity party don't stop, right? I'm I'm depressed. I'm alone. Oh, 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 oh. And here's the second mistake he makes, not only running himself into the ground, but, but we shut people out. He isolates himself. Man, the last couple weeks have been really exciting here at the chapel. I don't know if you know this, downtown south, but... In the last couple weeks, 130 small groups have launched or kicked back up in, catch this, 130 people in homes and and coffee. Hey, friends, 130 small groups of people in community together. And, and, and here's why, because we think we were made for community. And let me just say this, because we believe as a church in technology, we utilize technology, but there's nothing like real people. <laughs> like you could hear, you could go on your computer or go on your TV and hear better preaching this morning if you wanted to. Not really, but no, I, I mean, you could. <laughs> Right? You can watch worship, but why be together? In fact, do you know this? Paul in Romans, when he's writing the, the, the um, most theological gospel-centered letter he writes of all, he says this in chapter 1, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. And that always shocked me because I'm like, you're writing them and sending them the word of God. What can that not do? But he was saying there's something, friends, there's something that happens in human connection, one with another. Catch this, and we thank God for, for technology. But let me just say this, in the middle of all our technology, There are people of lonely and fractured. The stats are out. People are depressed and all alone. They don't know their neighbors. And when they say, no, but I got Facebook and Instagram, and that might just make us feel more lonely and left out. Hey, question. Have you ever had somebody post a picture of a party that you thought maybe you should have been at? And you didn't invite me, and I'm home sad, right? And, And here's the reality. With all the technology, with all the technology of our world, people are isolated. And we were made for community. 
We're made for togetherness. In fact, you know, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, long before sin ever entered the world, when Adam was still alone, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And that was a perfect man in a perfect garden with a perfect relationship with God. So when people say, well, I just need God. I don't really need other people. Well, that, that's just not true. We're made for community. We're made for connection. That's what we're, that's what we're all about. In fact, in fact, you probably hear us talk about growth track all the time. And you're like, what is with these people, you know? And it's because we really, we believe not only in groups, but when people serve together in teams, it connects their life. I want you to know this from my heart as a leader of our church. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And when you serve in community, when you get connected in teams, when you do life together, there's friendships, there's bonds, there's connections that happen like never before. I want you to know this too. If you sign up to serve on a team every Sunday, we have chefs and team rooms and we serve you breakfast. We're trying to create like a dugout experience, you know what I mean? Where we come and we, we together and we form friendships because there's something that happens in connection with one another. And the danger is when we shut people out and we isolate ourselves. We need one another for community and connection. And Elijah, when he gets alone, he starts thinking wrong. And I want you to know, I think when we get alone, we start thinking wrong. And he's going to pray a prayer. And let me just say this for a second. When you read this prayer, you're going to think about how grateful you are that God doesn't answer all your prayers. <laughs> okay, so let me show you Elijah's prayer. Take my life. Now, let me just say this. Not to make light of it. I want, I want you to know something. If you're struggling with feelings of worth and hopelessness, you email us. We'll support you pastorally. We'll connect you to good counseling. We'll support you. Listen, I want to say this to people thinking about suicide. I heard a story just a few weeks ago. Great pastor, part of Harvest Church in California who took his own life. Let me just say this. With Jesus, there's always hope for tomorrow. And you may not feel like it. And you, you just tell us, listen, you don't need to be. And you say, well, I'm spiritual and I can't. Listen, how, how many know when you feel feel hopeless, you need to tell somebody, right? And, and, and Elijah, this is Elijah. So like destigmatize feelings of, of even suicide. Take my life, God. And he's depressed and he's starting to think wrong. And I think that's what happens when you isolate yourself too long. You start, you're your own counselor and sometimes you don't need to be. And take my life. And then he says, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then look at the pity party. I'm the what? Come on. I'm the what? How many know this is a sign of self-pity whenever you think this way? I'm the only one who's ever had life this hard. I'm the only one with kids like this. I'm the only one with a spouse like this. I'm the I say this all the time in traffic. I'm the only one who always gets stuck behind slow drivers in the left lane. God decided the left lane for people with purpose and vision and passion and mood. Get out of my way. And Katie's like, you're right up on him. I'm like, I just want him to know I'm here because I'm just encouraging him today to move over. I'm the only one. And now they're trying to kill me too. Write this down. Here's the third thing that happens when we get in a bad place. We what? Come on, help me. We what? We what? We focus on the negative. I only, you'll never know. My life is hard. I'm always going to struggle. We'll never be happy. We'll always be hurting. 
my, my, you never, it's never. It's a negative thinking. Now, let me just say this. God's going to tell them later on there are 7,000 other faithful prophets that haven't bowed. There are other people. He actually is also comparing himself. I'm no longer, I'm not better than my ancestors. God never told him he had to be. How many know comparison kills? Hey, 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 comparison kills, right? And, And he's in this negative world fixated. Now, the amazing thing is, and we're going to see it in a second, God has done incredible things for him. We don't have, to have time to go back to chapter 17. When God let vulture birds drop him lunch. How many know when vulture birds bring you McDonald's, God is giving you stuff, right? And then all of a sudden God shows up in fire and d- destroys his I mean, he's seen massively faithful things of God just days before this. Then he's fixated on negative. And that's what, that's what wrong thinking and wrong emotions will do. They'll say things won't get better and it can't get better. And oh, no, no, no. In fact, God in, in Isaiah sent Isaiah the prophet to Ahaz, who they were so fearful of the Edomites and others that were coming against them that they actually let fear overtake them. I love this verse, Isaiah 7 and verse 2. They shook with fear like the trees of the forest blown by the wind. I want to include this verse this weekend because I actually think if you get in the wrong level of fear, it can actually have physical. You believe that what you think in your mind could actually could actually have physical symptoms in your life. In fact, an amazing lady, awesome leader in our church said to me, uh, after the 815 service, or before the 815 service, she said, if you ever want to use me as an illustration, I have, I have physical symptoms. I've been anxious for years, and it's brought me all kinds of skin issues, and, ch- and, and like, I just, I've been nervous. It's physically affected me. I think that's actually what can happen in our minds when the wrong thoughts happen too long. And, and look what God brings comfort, Isaiah 7, verse 4. So tell Ahaz, be careful, be what? Come on, come on, be what? Be, be calm and do not worry. He offers some comfort and hope. And he focuses on the negative and he gets fearful and he wants to die. And he doesn't think anything can happen because ultimately, and here it is, number four, ultimately he forgets God. He forgets God. That's what we said it last week. Worry is essentially functional and practical atheism. (laughs) It's to say, theologically, I might not believe that God doesn't exist, but practically my emotions are living that way. And the crazy thing is, Elijah has seen God come through so many times for him. God was present, faithful, his power, all of this. In fact, let me tell you the name, what Elijah's name means. Elijah's name literally means my God is provider, okay? So when he says, I'm going to die, every time someone calls his name, my God is provider. My God is provider. His literal name means, look how much God, El, Yah, Yahweh, God, provide. Literally, God has provided for you. And yet, even though that's the definition of his name and the experience of his soul, he has forgotten God. I'm here to remind you this weekend, if God has been faithful in your yesterday, you can trust him with your today. 
question this morning, downtown, here we go. So how, how many of you, God has done some things in your life that you can point back and you have reason for thankfulness, right? Come on, how, how many God's done more than three or four or five? And listen, the danger is to get you so locked in to the present challenges of your life that you forget that God has been faithful. And that's one of the reasons we corporately worship together, to be reminded, hey, God has been faithful, not only in your practical details of your life, but on the cross, he's died on the cross, rose from the dead. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, if God gave his son for you, how much more will he freely give you all things? Okay, so I want you to picture this. It's like I buy my daughter a, a, a Christmas gift that she wants that costs $200, right? And it needs a set of AA batteries. And I say, oh, I'm not paying for those. <laughs> well, Dad, how much do AA batteries cost? Oh, like a buck sixty. I actually have no idea. I haven't bought batteries in forever. Because here's what Jesus, here's what Paul says in Romans 8. If God took care of the biggest provision we needed, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh my. If God took care of the biggest problem, my sin debt, do I think he's not going to take care of my present need, my present struggles? My God is provider. So what happens is God takes Elijah alone. I want, to, well, you want you to see this, and I'm going to lay on the plane here, but I want you to see this. Just lock in. Give me a couple more minutes. And God says to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. That's what the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and such a mighty windstorm hit the mountains. I want you to think of this. We see wind carrying leaves. It's with such force that the rocks on the mountains begin to break off. It's such a terrible blast that the rocks torn loose around Elijah. But was the Lord in the wind? The Lord was, help me out, come on, loudly. The Lord was not, not in the wind. And after the Lord, after the wind, there was a, a, an earthquake. But the Lord was what? The Lord was not. not. So, so the wind, oh, surely this is the Lord. The Lord's not in the wind. Here comes the earthquake. Or it's not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a what? Fire. fire. I don't know about you. Every time I see fire, it's kind of fascinating. I don't think at a problematic level, but I... <laughs> Surely this is God. I mean, beauty. Whoa. After the earth, all right, he's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. There's a fire, but the Lord was what? The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a, help me out, there was a what? Gentle whisper. Just write this down this morning. God, God was not in the remarkable. God was in the ordinary. Man, I wish... I wish we could just end the service this weekend, praying a quick prayer, and you'd stand up and somebody would turn around and they'd say... All your problems are gone. God was not in the earthquake, the fire. Sometimes we want God big. How many know sometimes God's not only big enough to handle our problems, he's small enough to come and enter them, right? So let me ask you this question, and then we're going to close today. Why? Why does God whisper? Man, when I want to get my kids' attention, I get loud. Hey, hey, hey. You better go to bed. If I come upstairs and you're not in bed... Hey, hey, I get loud. Why does God whisper? 
Why does God whisper? I'm going to ask Katie to come this morning. So here's, here's why God whispers. So you stand over there, okay? Good to see you this morning. <laughs> so now I have a mic on, so it can make it a little weird. But So you're, you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Did you hear me? Okay, so you got to take one more step. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Did you hear that? Okay, come on a little closer. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Did you hear that? That's sweet, right? Deserves a kiss, I think. Forget it. Uh, why does God whisper? Because he, he wants to be close. Let me, let me show you this one verse, and then we're done this weekend. Two, three weeks ago, we started with this passage. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Let me just make one comment about this verse. All the time you hear Philippians 4, 6 quoted, do not be anxious about anything but in everything. But verse 5, let me just say this. Do you know when the Bible was written, chapter and verse divisions were not there? So here's how it could read. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But the stupid guys that made the verses and the chapters split them up. God didn't split them up. So we just start with verse 6, don't be anxious. But God's not telling you not to be anxious. He's telling you something before he's telling you not to be anxious. He's telling you the Lord is near. So do not be anxious. The, hey, friends, the Lord is near. So do not be anxious. I, I don't think you've heard me this morning. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. So you don't have to be afraid because your father who spoke and the very words of his mouth caused the stars to fling into existence and the oceans to get in line and form in, in the boundaries and the mountains to come up and the hills to be. The God who spoke his word and a three-day dead body with bones in a rented tomb came alive again. That Lord is near you and your trouble. Thank you very much. And the Lord is with us. Come on, somebody. That's cause for hope. And rejoicing and life. So be careful because everybody reads me that verse and says, do not be anxious about anything for your prayers or this. Da, 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 da. Hey, friends, I don't want all the weight on that on my praying. I'm not even always as good at praying as and you aren't good as good at praying either because I've heard you pray. How many know how many have ever done bad with prayer? Come on, somebody. But the great news is before I even utter a word to God, he is near me in the middle of my trouble and in the middle of my struggle. And his grace is here for the Lord whispers because he wants us close to him because close is where he can help us. I'm going to pray for us this morning and I'm going to turn it over to downtown. Come on, let's pray together. God, for every worry and every anxiety and every doubt and every struggle, for every isolated thought and weary soul, God, as pastor here today, I just pray over people tired Pray over people tired downtown. Would you give grace and rest and strength and peace? Would you fill us with the, with the knowledge? Our God is not far away. Our God is as close as the mention 
of your name. So we mentioned that name this weekend, Jesus. Jesus. We give you our cares. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn it over to downtown. Here's what we're going to do this weekend. I'm going to ask you for just three or four more minutes. Our team's going to lead us in a closing song, and we have a chance if you want. You don't have to respond, but we're going to take communion. Between the song and communion, probably five minutes max. But I want us to just take this sacred moment to let God come near. Here's what communion is. I want you to picture God with a table with a seat open. And he tells you, want to join me at my table? That's what communion is. So got two tables on each side and one in the back. You can come and take bread, dip it in the cup. You don't, be, you don't have to be a member of the chapel. We have open communion if you know and love Jesus. And he's your savior. We invite you to respond in communion. We're trying to do this a little more uh, orderly. So we're trying to come down this aisle, right? And over and come down this aisle and over. And we'll, if you mess up a little, it's okay. But our team's going to lead us in a response song. And we're going to come to these tables. We're going to take bread. We're going to dip it in the cup. And we're going to be reminded of a God who loves us and who is near to us. And here's what my challenge for you today. Maybe you, maybe you don't normally take communion. What if you took a step today to say, God, you're not only coming near to me, I'm going to take a physical step to come to these tables this morning to make a sign from my heart that I want to draw near to God and he will draw near to me. Come on, let's stand together. Come on, let's stand together. Would you come?